Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you're rustling with your feelings about a particular $44 million point guard from Lawndale, California, (laughs) who's had quite the polarizing start to his Lakers career thus far in his 14th NBA season, well, we're here to rustle along with you. So let's vent it out and try and find some catharsis. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, Happy New Year. Happy 2022. How was your break, and uh, any concrete New Year's resolutions that you got for uh, the good old 2022? Uh, New Year's resolutions. Break was good. Thank you for asking. Uh, New Year's resolutions. I want to I want to direct my, my positive mental energy and mental health towards... Uh, towards things un, not related to the Lakers. I think that'll that'll make for a more positive 2022. So why the hell are we doing this podcast? Then? I don't know. Good point, dude. <laughs> last one. I mean, last one for 2022. Uh, that's good. Uh, for me personally, I'm trying to get back down to a certain ideal weight of mine that I had during the start of the pandemic back in uh, March 2020 when all I did was run because that's all there was to do was run. Uh, but yeah, that's number one for me. But regardless, speaking of New Year's resolutions, we have some for a particular Lakers starting point guard. So today, let's get to that. We're going to be talking about, finally, just solely focus this episode on Russell Westbrook. Um, So we know there are a lot of things going on, and Tommy hasn't been on the podcast since December, and there's a lot of positive things going on, but... Uh, just for the sole purposes of this episode and just to have our thoughts on record, because as Tommy said, this is not a discussion and discourse that we necessarily want to keep going back to. And so we'll just get it all out, hash it all out right now, and you can probably always go back to it. And our thoughts and opinions on the dude will probably remain the same. So with that said, Tommy, let's talk about the most polarizing Lakers acquisition in probably the last decade since Dwight Howard, maybe. Let's talk about Russell Westbrook. Uh, the Lakers, you know, having said all of that about Russell and, and, and everything, you know, I think they're, what, 5-1 and one in their last six games or something, or at least 4-1. and one. Uh, yeah. They lost their last game to the Memphis Grizzlies and absolutely got punked by John Morant and Desmond Bain, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't Russell Westbrook's fault, um, as people like to say on Twitter, because of the loss. It wasn't his fault at all. But I think to frame this episode and to frame Russell Westbrook in general, It's never Russell Westbrook's fault, right? It's never just his fault on how the season's going, on how any particular game is going. I think Russell Westbrook and his acquisition in general is just indicative and symptomatic probably of cracks in how the Lakers season has gone. So I'll just leave it at that. But before we talk about, I guess, some grievances with regards to Russell Westbrook, or maybe not even Russell Westbrook specifically, but his acquisition, let's talk about the good uh, because I feel like, especially on Twitter, that gets overlooked with how egregious Russell Westbrook's mistakes are and whatnot. So let's get that out of the way first, and we can be quick with this. Um, I'll start first. Uh, the good with Russell Westbrook is, especially now that we've gone to this small ball, micro ball um, sort of identity and committed to that identity, is he fits that so- style of play, especially in transition. 
If you're talking about Russell Westbrook in the open court with the way that he pulls down these rebounds with such ferocity and races down to the other end, and even if he misses the layup, he's just pr- putting pressure on the defense. And then with that, finding guys for you know wide open threes or LeBron James rolling down the lane for a, for a dunk. Like, all of that is positive. Anything with regards to Russell, Russell Westbrook and transition, I have nothing bad to say. So on that end, he fits perfectly. Um, there's also his assisting, finding LeBron James, making life easier on LeBron James as an off-ball cutter. He is by far LeBron's number one assister this season. So there's that. Um, in general, Russell Westbrook is just a good dude, right? His community work should be applauded. That goes without stating how he fights for the city and wears LA proudly on his chest. That should be endeared. Um, so all of that is baked into this. Lastly, uh, we've had this discussion before, Tommy, off air, but if LeBron James and Anthony Davis think that Russell Westbrook is worth it, then it's worth it to get Russell Westbrook. It's worth it to have Russell Westbrook, even though from an outsider views perspective, we're like, this seems like it could be a lot easier. It doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, if LeBron James is like, not even thinking about that. And he's just like, mentally for myself, it's just good to have Russell Westbrook, even though, you know, all the stats and the actual on-court play tells me otherwise, just having him there to soak up usage and whatever, it's worth it for me. We've already made the deal. We can't go back. So at least for my mental state as a LeBron James, you know, I'm going to live with it. So if, if it's good for LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's good for me. So what are some positives that you can say about Russell Westbrook without, and I realize that I probably ran through that super quickly and may have seemed a bit patronizing or whatever, but I, I was, I'm, I'm actually genuine in saying all these things. So for you, what are some positives with Russell Westbrook? Yeah, so here's here's what Russell Westbrook has has done right. It's, it's so sad that we have to start. <laughs> I know. I don't want. I don't want to make sure that we. Uh, I think it sounds like we have a sarcastic tone, but really, I'm just for the pacing of this episode no, I, I and you. to get to the meat of things. You guys get it. I think you pretty much summarized all of them. To be honest, I will say the one thing I'll add. Right is there are certain tendencies that he has had throughout his whatever 13 year career so far that you know, 13 years have come and gone and he hasn't really broken those. And so you kind of get a guy like that, maybe accepting this is who he is, but he operates within a certain range. Right. And I guess as one example, he's a high variance player in terms of, in really in a lot of aspects, but specifically in terms of when he decides to get to the basket and not get to the basket. One area that I think he's done, or two areas that I think he's done a really good job at, uh, you know, coming into the Lakers and the situation that we have is he is getting to the rim at a good rate. I think much higher than what he did last year on a team that had like a very elite spacing. What do you think of Beal and Bertans and Hachimura and, and some of the other perimeter shooting they had on that team on the Wizards last year? He is getting getting to the rim at least at at still a very elite rate um, among the higher end of his career so far this season with the Lakers. And similarly, well, I guess not similarly, but another offensive uh, variant stat for him has been usage. Earlier in his career with Kevin Durant and James Harden, although they were all young guys, like his usage wasn't as high as it became in the post KD years at OKC when he was averaging a triple double, you know, and whatnot. Um, it had been higher in some of his, his uh, more recent stops after OKC as well. But, you know, when you look at his usage range over the course of his career, he is operating on the lower end of that range this year, which on a team with LeBron, you know, AD has been out for a while, but he played, you know, a good chunk of games so far for us. Uh, a bunch of the ball handlers and, and guys we got in free agency, offensive guys. You don't want necessarily Russ's uh, usage to be super high. It doesn't need to be super high. And so he's clearly taken a step back in that regard. So, you know, beyond all the things you said, which I think are all good points, those are the two I'd add. Um, okay, so let's shift it now to my main question here. And again, this is not to ignore all the positive things that Russell Westbrook does. But given very important contextual factors that are attached to Russell Westbrook's acquisition, at the end of the day, when you're stacking things up on different ledgers, you have to ask yourself the question, is the juice worth the squeeze with Russell Westbrook? Can the Lakers still win a title with Russell Westbrook 
Absolutely. My main question, though, is could it have, could it have been easier? And I think the resounding answer probably is, yeah, it probably could have been easier, right? Um, is Russell Westbrook a top 75 player? Yes, but it is also his 14th season in the NBA. He has just objectively regressed athletically, but is still getting paid the most he's ever gotten paid, I believe. And unfortunately, because of that fact, he still hasn't gone through his Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard metamorphosis uh, into more of a tertiary role player because, exactly because he's at that price point. And again, with everything positive that we mentioned and everything positive that he does, if you stack it up against everything he takes off the table, you really have to ask yourself, one, is he worth the headache? And two, and this is kind of the same thing, is he worth all the bending, stretching, and mental gymnastics that we have to do on the daily? And again, me saying this does not mean that I don't think we can win the championship with Russell Westbrook. I just think the road traveled to get to that point just seems so unnecessarily arduous. But with that said, Tommy, let's start with this first premise point um, with regards to the contextual factors of Russell Westbrook's acquisition. So let's start with his contract and the cost of trading for him. So the way that Russell Westbrook was acquired, obviously we had to trade Cal Kuzma, uh, KCP, Montrez Harrell, uh, our first round pick uh, in 2021 to get him. Um, so why don't you speak to that fact? And fair or unfair, Westbrook's salary, first of all, the fact that he makes one person $44 million, not three people split up into you know, $15 million, $17 million, et cetera, because of that fact, one, it already subsequently hampers the front office's ability to make other moves. Um, two, there were actual assets, useful assets that went out for him. Maybe you don't consider Trez a useful asset. Fine. Kuzma and KCP are useful assets. And even if you weren't going to use those guys on this team this year, you could have traded them elsewhere, right? So it goes back to the asset point. We traded a first round pick for him. Yep. So unfair or not... These things are always going to be levied against Russell Westbrook and how he's playing. And that's just the reality of it because there is a clear like pivot point or another fork in the road that we could have gone to that we chose not to, um, that we chose to forego by acquiring Russell Westbrook. So why don't you speak to that fact and why, again, fair or unfair, people are going to be hard on Russell Westbrook because the production just simply doesn't match the cost, the macro cost that we had to give up to get this guy. Yeah, so I think, right, and I think you set this up pretty well in the beginning. None of this is even necessarily about Russ personally. I mean, I think a lot of fans, fans are smarter than I think, yeah, they can get emotional, right? But I think fans are smarter than they sometimes get credit for, you know. It, you can put aside in a vacuum the fact that Russ will... Westbrook is getting paid $44 million and you can put aside, uh, you know, the fact that, okay, this is not my money and whatever, if they're willing to spend to try to win a championship, I'm not going to judge how they, how they spend the money. But, you know, none of this again is about Russ personally in a vacuum. You can say, okay, a guy who gets you 18, eight and eight, which I think is about what he's averaging this season uh, and has like, you know, yeah, he's going to have some bad games, and but he's also going to be able to supernova some games and put up like 30-plus point triple-doubles. There's not a lot of players in the league that can do that, right? And mm -hmm. so you kind of live with the bad to take the good in that scenario. I, people can objectively agree on that, okay? But I think the primary issue, right, is none of this is really about Russ personally. It's just it, it, the whole Russell Westbrook situation kind of reflects a much broader team building issue that I think the Lakers are having and, you know, have had. And, and, you know, Russ is an unfortunate victim, maybe too directly of negativity in from fans and from the media or whatever, right. About how this team has ended up. But th what, what is happening is I think fans are expression, expressing frustration about Russell Westbrook and I think, you know, it's too easy to take the devil's advocate point and say, like, well, this guy isn't that bad, as bad as you're making him. But 
the issue is bigger than that, right? Like, for example, yeah. if we if we traded for Kevin Love, let's say in the offseason we traded for Kevin Love. Kevin Love is obviously not a $30 million player. But if you're getting Kevin Love for, like, you know, just making stuff up, like Luel Deng's expiring contract and Montrez Harrell, it, you know, you don't necessarily come out of games where Kevin Love is scoring five points saying, this guy sucks. Because, you know, you mm-hmm. you intuitively understand that the guys kind of are what they are. But if you were trading Kyle Kuzma, KCP, and Montrez Harrell for Kevin Love, now, like... Just subconsciously, people are going to look at it different. It doesn't make a difference. I, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that those guys specifically shouldn't be blamed for how much money they're making, right? It's just, you know, Rob doesn't suit up and go out there as a player. So when fans are going on Twitter and complaining about stuff, it's obviously, you know, not the case that everyone's like Russell Westbrook is literally the worst player in the NBA. No, he's not even the worst player on on our team, right? It's just he is kind of a symbol of all of the problems that this team is having. And so it's kind of, I don't want to say easy, but it's kind of like you you can point the finger at him as like a, a symbol of what has gone wrong, kind of. Yeah, and I think on top of that, there's levels to that, right? Because it's not just that useful assets went out for him, but because of who he is as a player and his history and the contract he's currently on, it's like there's not much wiggle room after that. Like you can't, I mean, you can technically objectively trade him to another team, but it's almost, it's so hard to do, right? You can do anything in the world you want to. There's a, it's possible. But when it comes to as close as you can get to an untradeable contract, I feel like that's where we're at with Russell Westbrook, right? Yeah. And so there's, there's an added level of like, we're kind of stuck with having to make this work. Right. And so when you're already under that frame of mind of like, like, that's not a bright, that's not a great frame of mind to be in. Right. Where it's like, all right, I guess we got to we got to do this. We got to work with this because there's no other there's no other way we can go at this point. So there's that. Why don't we take it to break and talk about the Blindsided podcast? New year, new great podcast to listen to. And with the insane year that we just came out of pandemic year two. I believe it's important to start 2022 off right with a good state of mind. And so enter the Blindsided Podcast, the Player Tribune's first ever mental health podcast. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the Blindsided Podcast will share and analyze the very moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. The Blindsided podcast then dives in deeper. It gets clinical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them when down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who just care about their mental health and want to hear from some of the most successful people in the business. This season guests include Kevin Love, Paul Bissonette, and Kurt Warner. So join them all, clear your head, and allow for a collective empathetic therapy podcast session to fill your next hour with the Blindsided Podcast. All right, so we are back. We talked about the baseline premise of Russell Westbrook's contract and the cost of that the assets that went out, etc. Now let's just talk about his on-court basketball play and the cost of that as well. Because one, one argument that I continue seeing on Twitter, Tommy, is um, anytime any other superstar player has a bad turnover game, right? People will be like, hey, did you guys just see James Harden turn it over 11 times? Or did you see Curry turn it over eight times and only shoot 35% from the field? Why are we so hard on Russell Westbrook when he turns the ball over? But look at Harden and Curry just doing whatever the hell they want out there. Trey Young just had nine turnovers. What's going on? And so (laughs) I want to talk about that and who Russell Westbrook is stylistically as a player because I think it's very important in framing the discussion about him because kind of like the contract situation, even before you've seen him play or step foot on the court, there's already baggage there. 
and there's already baggage with Russell Westbrook's style of play. In relation to Trey Young, Steph Curry, James Harden, we don't murder any of those guys the same way, and we don't look at their raw field goal percentage the same way because all those guys, unlike Russell Westbrook, are modern NBA point guards who can shoot the ball from three, space the floor for their team, and hit their free throws. Their team and every other fan will live with the turnovers much more, will live with the turnovers that they make much more when those players make life easier on the coaching staff and the front office as it pertains to the rest of the team's overall construction and how the rest of the team's rotations pan out. As we've seen with Russell Westbrook, we're continuing to have to tinker with what's, what rotations work with this guy because we've paid him 40 more... We're paying him $44 million, and so everything kind of has to orbit around him. So on a fundamental ground zero level, to have a point guard like Russell Westbrook, who can't shoot, who doesn't space the floor, and probably the most damning thing, doesn't play defense, is already a terrible starting point to be at. Because from day one, Westbrook's already taking things off the table for you. And again, that affects how the team then has to account for those deficiencies, and that thereby makes things harder on everyone. The coaching staff, the front office, LeBron James, other role players, etc. Other role players who may fit certain rotations and lineups better, right? Um, And again, that's not even taking into account the egregiousness with which Westbrook makes some of his turnovers, and then his poor decision-making and shot selection, which are turnovers in and of themselves sometimes. Uh, And again, not to mention, too, the multiple ways in which when Westbrook bricks some of these layups or misses some of these shots, he will subsequently then complain to the refs and never run back on defense. So even some of his best strengths and qualities can be leveraged against him and used by the opposing team just because Russ isn't paying attention, he isn't locked in, and he isn't willing to sacrifice to the requisite level that we need him to sacrifice. So in closing, no, Westbrook's turnovers are not the same as Curry's or Harden's or Trey's. They're not even the same as Draymond Green's turnovers. Do you know why? Because Draymond Green, while he can't shoot like Russ, while he can't shoot the same way Russ can't shoot, Draymond Green is a first-time all-defender, all-defense sort of guy who doesn't take bad shots. And when he does take bad shots, he's capping himself to like four field goal attempts per game, right? So just your thoughts on the cost of Russell Westbrook's style of play even before he's even uh, stepped foot onto the court. Yeah, so... The big criticism of Russ, his entire career, pretty much since OKC made the finals and whatever that, like 2011 or 20, whenever that was, um, has always been that he's not a winner, right? And I don't necessarily like that phrasing because I think mm-hmm. it suggests that, like, the person, it almost, it suggests almost some malintent. And I don't think there is any here, but I, I don't think that, he necessarily has a winning mindset or a, like, obviously he wants to win the games. He competes harder than most guys out there. You know what I mean? Most nights, but he does not have a winning mentality. And I think those are two different things. It's not just about sheer effort. You can't sheer effort your way. You have there. There's a mental and IQ aspect that I think he is just a little bit lacking. You know, in terms of mentality, I think Russell Westbrook, is a little bit too much of a box score player, okay? And we've seen that a little bit with his interviews after some of these losses where he gets asked about, you know, what he thought went wrong or whatever. And and he, for some reason, always defaults back to his stats. And he's like, well, you know, it's not normal for a guy to go out there and get 30, 10, and 10 every night. Like, I know I did that for many years, but that's not normal. And it's like, no, that's not the point. You know what I mean? People are thinking about the wins and the losses, not your individual stats as a player. He's had all these comments about, like, Russ has to be Russ. You know, I, I got to let Russ be Russ or whatever. You know, Russ is going to be Russ. Like, it's just like, that's been a, a recent talking point that he constantly says. But, that's not right though. In, in many ways, like I, I, yeah, you understand the sentiment of what he's trying to to say there, but this is a three superstar team. Everybody has to take a backseat. If you are not the best player, which Anthony Davis is very good. Russell Westbrook is a good player. LeBron James is clearly the best out of these three guys still. Okay. He's a top three, if not, if, if not top three, certainly top five player in the NBA today. 
everybody on everybody else on the team, including the other two superstars, have to take a step back. It's not Russ v. Russ. It's Russ has to fit into this three superstar structure. And those types of comments are just sort of indicative to me, you know, as as like a guy pointing to a guy who sort of lacks the mental, you know, the mental awareness aspect of that, that's just like necessary for winning. You know what I mean? To make this a just a, and I'm not trying to compare like Austin Reeves or Alex Caruso to like Russell Westbrook, for example, obviously these players are in different, completely different players and completely different calibers. But I guess the point of what I'm trying to say is to put it in perspective for like Laker fans, two guys who you kind of lived with in the case of Caruso or live in the case of Reeves with some of the negatives and some of the, you know, maybe these guys aren't the most offensively gifted. Maybe they don't, they don't do certain things correctly or whatever, but you live with that because you have at least the confidence and comfort in knowing that in crucial game situations, these guys can be on the floor and not contribute negatively. It's a five-man game, and LeBron is the best player on your team and on most teams in the league. And at some level, when it comes down to the crunch time, you just need guys who are not going to affirmatively mess that up. Mm -hmm. And I think too often, Russell Westbrook, unfortunately, becomes one of those guys because he's not focused on how can I change who I am to help this team win a championship? He's focused on, I need Russ to be Russ. Russ is going to be Russ. How can Russ be Russ on this team? It's not about how can Russ be Russ on this team. Russ being Russ hasn't won you a championship in 13 years. You need to think about now I don't have to do all of those things. You know, you don't have to go out there and get a 30-point triple-double every single night to give your team a chance to win. But how can I focus on other things to help my team win? And he hasn't necessarily done those things. And we can get into the specifics. Sure. And I think you kind of – so you brought up a good point and kind of took my initial premise of the cost of his style of play into a more – intangible nuance discussion uh before we get back into that can you quickly just touch upon literally the because i was talking about you know his turnovers his lack of spacing his lack of shooting which are all you know just very you know low-hanging fruit stuff but i think it's something that needs to continually be brought up when people are comparing him to other superstar players uh who turn the ball over and have high usage as well so can you just quickly touch upon how his and the re and this is another reason why when any criticisms of Russell Westbrook are put out there, why it seems like we're so hard on him, it's because, and and why when we when other people bring up his good positive qualities, why it still loops back around to kind of in the aggregate a negative for Russell Westbrook. It's because from day one, starting point ground zero, he's taking things off the table. And can you talk upon and touch upon? just the burden that puts on everybody else and how not just the Lakers, but historically, it seems like teams, coaching staffs have had to move heaven and earth just to acquiesce around Russell Westbrook, just to make him be effective. Like, for example, the the Houston Rockets, they traded away Clint Capella to get Robert Covington so that the lineup could be more spaced because Russell they had Russell Westbrook there. These days, AD went down. Russell Westbrook's not even giving us, you know, number two type player sort of production. Thank God Malik Monk's here, right? What, what do we do? Well, let's put LeBron James at the five. And some can argue that that's the way we should have gone anyways. But with Russell Westbrook here, it's like that, that just has to be the case because we have Russell Westbrook. So if you could just speak to, you know, the cost of his style of play and how that trickles down to literally everybody else and kind of how burdensome that is. Yeah, so the cost of his style of play is, you know, like you mentioned, he's a $44 million player to get into the literal cost, right? Yeah. And, and what that does when you're a $44 million flawed player is it doesn't leave you, leave you a lot of flexibility to fill in around his gaps. Um, because he is a point guard who cannot space the the floor, especially in today's modern NBA, okay? And and I know that in this quote-unquote modern NBA, the Lakers won a championship essentially playing two big men for the entire season. But in most, you know, for most teams, if you don't have a point guard who could space the floor, the guy is almost effectively unplayable. 
because it affects every other aspect. It brings, and especially on a team like the Lakers, where you're not your number two and number three paid guys, okay, but probably your number one and number two best players on your team are also not elite shooters. Like I know LeBron is having a very, very strong first half of the season shooting from three. But he's not an elite three-point shooter, okay? He's like league average. AD is below average, way below, in fact, well below average as a perimeter shooter. And those guys also need space. And what you're doing is, by putting Russell Westbrook on the floor, is like you're almost, maybe, yeah, you're gaining certain things in in terms of LeBron's usage goes down. LeBron's wear and tear on his body goes down. AD has a guy who can create opportunities for him. But you're also, in other ways, making the job much more difficult for those guys to be effective. When you have a guy who, even when his usage goes down, it just has a knack for getting four to five turnovers a game, it puts so much pressure on all of your other players to not get a turnover because this guy's turnovers are just such a big part of your offense already. When you have a guy who can't hit a perimeter shot or can't hit free throws, again, it's just all of these things, despite how much he has the ball in his hands, all of these things sort of put a lot of pressure on minimum level NBA players because you're paying 44 million to one guy minimum level NBA players to kind of pick up the slack you've sort of seen it yeah go Can ahead we, yeah I think you're gonna get to that point like last night's game against the Grizzlies like Malik Monk who's been carrying this team as like the number two guy scoring wise efficiency wise like LeBron's right hand man in playing two-man basketball in in late game situations where they switch off screening for each other Malik Monk popping out for these threes off of LeBron James passes off that pick and roll Malik Monk has his first bad game since Christmas and Russell Westbrook's kind of not there to pick up the slack even just scoring wise Okay, he had a zero turnover game, but why did we acquire this guy if, even if Russell Westbrook, in the grand scheme of things, should be appropriately slotted as the third guy, we're not paying him $44 million to not step up as the second guy when the, when the situation calls for it, you know what I'm saying? And so I think right. that's where you were getting at, like, okay, the pressure shouldn't be on Malik Monk, he's going to have an off game because he's a minimum player and this is first time actually playing competitive basketball. In those situations, where is Russell Westbrook? Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's the problem, right? Like, again, it, it, it is what it is, but these are sort of the burdens you, ha- you accept as a player when you take a $44 million contract. Like, you kind of have to be that guy. Malik Monk... You can live with him, the fact that this dude is not an all-star making $1 million a year. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, he's going to have an off night. But And Russell Westbrook, by the way, should be allowed to have an off night, too. He's not a perfect player. But, again, when you are coming in with, like, I'm going to be Russ, I'm going to have my usage, I'm going to have my playmaking that I want to do, I'm going to take the shots I want to take... Um and you were not effective in those areas, it puts so much pressure on everybody else. I mean, in the four-game win streak or whatever we had before the loss to Memphis, Russ didn't even play that well in most of those games, but, you know, he cut his turnovers down. It seemed like he was trying to compete a little bit more on defense. He was overall such a positive. I think his plus-minus was like, in the four-game win streak, it was like, he had three games where he was like plus plus twenty or better um, in plus minus, and one game where he was like a plus two. So you know he 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 was playing better during that time. But again, it's like everything just gets so compounded when you come into this from the perspective of like, okay, this guy this guy has to be really good most of the time, and it's just not even close to really being the case. You know what I mean? Like if he, yeah. even when he gets you a 30 point triple double, as we've seen this year, he has so many mistakes getting you there. And he has so many like plays where he falls asleep. Like again, you know, I keep talking about this rust being rust thing, but it just, it's so those, co- those types of comments stand out to me so much because I'm like, you're on a team with 37 year old LeBron James, who is having, his best season since like he won his last championship in Cleveland, you know, or even maybe even better than that during the regular season. And 
you know, people are pointing back to like the Miami days as the last time he was like this effective during the regular mm-hmm. season, which is pretty insane as a 37 year old player. And you don't have the awareness on either side of the floor to be like, I need to figure out what I can do to finish better around the rim, what I need to do to cut down my own turnovers. And frankly, on a team that won by hang a championship two years ago by hanging its hat on defense, like what can I do to step in and fill some of the gaps created by LeBron exerting so much energy on the offensive side? Maybe my new goal is not let Russ be Russ. Maybe my new goal is have Russ be Patrick Beverly, you know, 2.0, like in in the, you know, not necessarily as a three-point shooter, but just a guy who's going to go in there and muck it up, compete on defense, crash the boards, you know what I mean, on a team that's struggling to rebound. And instead, you get a guy who's just like, frankly, standing around a lot. It, it, so that is like, again, it it compounds, everything is compounded when you're already a flawed player and the ways that you can very obviously contribute to this team that are like not even necessarily skill-based, but frankly, purely effort-based. You're not doing, and I say effort-based because Malik Monk was like a bottom five defender as a guard in the NBA before he joined the team and has just been skyrocketing as a defender over the course of this season. It's effort and intelligence base. But when you come at this as like, I'm Russell Westbrook, I'm going to be Russ. I've been I've been doing this for 13 years and have had a lot of success. It's almost like his attitude is I'm too good to do the little things. And that's the disturbing part. And and I think that also bleeds into his recent comments where I'm sure people at this point have seen him. I think Dave McMenamin asked him a question about him being a point guard and he's like, huh, "That's funny." You know like so all that stuff continues to compound into one another like when Russell Westbrook is so, I don't even know, like, like you mentioned the attitude, the lack of self-awareness and even just describing who he is as a player. But when you get that sort of, I don't know what to call it anymore, like his flippant responses to the media um, and a lack of accountability in what he's saying, it's just, it's disheartening as a fan, you know? And it almost makes Russell Westbrook seem like purely a front runner. Because he, he, he has so much to say. He has so much rocking the baby moves to do when things are going well, right? But when things aren't, he, res- he re- reverts back to this like pity party Russell Westbrook thing. Like, let me, be, let me be me. And all of a sudden, you're not letting me be me. You're not letting me be me. And this is what you get. You get a zero turnover game and I'm going to shoot two for 11, right? And it's almost like he's subconsciously with that or indirectly implying that it's your guys' fault that I'm playing the way I'm playing. And yep. in fact, Tommy, I've gotten these Twitter responses. Uh, one, one guy tweeted me, y'all wanted no turnover Russ and are now complaining about him playing in control and only playing one way. This is your damn fault. And I'm like, yeah, totally, totally my damn fault. Uh, Russell Westbrook totally read my tweet about uh, he should play more, he should play smarter and stop turning the ball over. But Again, in the grand scale of things, and it's funny that you brought up Patrick Beverly as a comp for Russell Westbrook, the dude that Russell Westbrook said, he's not doing anything out there, just running around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But Russell Westbrook, even when it comes to attention to detail defensively, he has literally lost to several games this year just because he blew defensive assignments. And not just blew them, but egregiously blew them. Lou Dort play, leaving him wide open for a dunk. Patty Mills, baseline three, right? And so you get back to, there are positives that Russell Westbrook does, and you know he gets triple doubles. Even when he's like winning you games in the clutch, you have to question and ask yourselves, did we even need to be in overtime for Russell Westbrook to win us this game if Russell Westbrook had been playing like well throughout the game? You know what I'm saying? And, and then on the flip side, if Russell Westbrook's having an amazing game, you're almost scared that, if it's a close game, he might undo everything with his decision-making last minute, right? So it's like a never-ending thing with Russell Westbrook just because you're uneasy with his decision-making, especially yep. late, and you're not sure. Even if he has a 35-point, 12-rebound, 11-assist game, if it's a close game with two minutes left, you're still like, oh, shit, he could wet the bed here, and none of that's going to matter, right? Um, so to close this episode, and we've kind of gone long on long enough, let's let's end the, the last five minutes on, um, I just want to talk about the discourse surrounding Westbrook. And I think, I think people need to take a step back and look at 
themselves and the way that we talk about Russell Westbrook, because I, I personally think it's kind of kind of sad. And I don't want to continue to like belittle this guy because I do think um, it is kind of gotten out of, hand, out of hand the way that people have started bashing this dude. And he's been treated like a meme too much. Um, and so I know that those who push back on all of the haters, of which there are a lot, uh, with regards to Russell Westbrook, I know those who do that and try and highlight his positives are only trying to balance out the discourse. And so I'm, I'm sure on a subconscious level, they're just, they're just trying to make the argument a little bit more fair. But at the same time, at a certain point, you just kind of have to call a spade a spade, right? And I think we need to stop treating Russell Westbrook with kid gloves, especially if he's going to give us what he's been giving us in these press conferences recently. At the end of the day, like... The way that we talk about Westbrook with regards to kind of coming up with caveats and excuses for him, I've never seen so many caveats for a quote-unquote star player, Tommy. And maybe he's not a star player, and maybe really at the end of the day, we're talking about a mid-level player who just so happens to be the highest paid player on his team. He's earned that contract. We're not taking anything away from him. But the way that he's playing, he's playing like a mid-level player, and the way that he talks about himself, he's talking about himself like a mid-level player when he says... I'm allowed to turn the ball over. I'm allowed to make mistakes. Okay, so let, so what do, what do we treat you as? A normal everyday player or as a $44 million player because the, the lines sort of get blurry at a certain point. Um, but the way that we talk about if Russell Westbrook is slotted correctly, then he can work. If he's the third guy, this can work. If he's the fourth guy, then this can definitely work. If only he doesn't do anything too egregious to hurt us in the fourth quarter, we can live with that. I feel like the discourse with Russell Westbrook is too much of uh, if we do this, then that. We can live with that. When you're talking, when you're using those terms for a $44 million player who's the highest paid player on your team, it's it's not good. <laughs> so do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I agree with you. I just devolved at the end there. I'm like, I don't have anything <laughs> cool to say. It's just not good. No, it's not good. I Yeah, I mean, again, it... We started off, it's funny, we're talking about the caveats, but we started off with all the caveats. But, you know, look, we're not we're not team employees, so we don't have to give a company line. We're just going to express what we think as fans. And I think that's fair. And and I think it's, you know, nobody is here to argue. And, and I'll be the first one to say, you know, it's not my $44 million. If the Lakers are able to, you know, put together some semblance of a competitive team, notwithstanding this move, I don't care. I'm not paying this guy out of my, you know, bank account $44 million to go play. He, Like you said, he's earned the $44 million over the course of his career. He's had a Hall of Fame type type career, you know. Um, and and so that's all justifiable. In a vacuum, a guy, I said 18, 8, and 8 earlier, 19... Um, you know, nineteen eight and eight on forty five percent shooting and and whatever you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those are not bad numbers. Like that, those are numbers you look at and you're like, okay. I, Spencer Dinwiddie. It's just throwing out a random name. This is not Spencer Dinwiddie <laughs> catching shades, you know, catching uh, strays episodes. Yeah, um, but he got paid like twenty million a year, for example, like over this past summer. Not even putting up numbers close to that, right? And, and so I'm not, we're not trying to suggest that Russell Westbrook is bad. It's just that when you were so unwilling, when you were willing to have the team suffer as a result of your insistence on playing the game a particular way, it's just a morale thing. You know what I mean? If this team had the exact same record right now, but we, instead of Russell Westbrook, had all of our depth role players, we would feel a lot different about prospects. And I think, again, a big part of that, frankly, is, again, it, 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 Russell Westbrook is going to catch a lot of heat, but the real person or maybe people we should be pointing the finger at is the front office and maybe even LeBron and AD to the extent they were involved in this decision to get Westbrook, right? And it's, yes, it, you know... It, it's not his fault that he gets paid $44 million and he is who he is. But it is, it's, you're, he's going to get the backlash because of what we gave up to get him. And I'm not even talking about the players we literally gave up. I'm talking about, you know, even the ten, tangential losses um, 
Alex Caruso, you know, you mentioned the pick, you mentioned all these things. It just inevitably your mind starts spiraling into if we had waited, I, you know, we did this trade on draft night, which was a week before free agency started. If we had waited two weeks, one week into free agency, would Russell Westbrook have still been available? I have to think yes. You know what I mean? If we had waited one week into free agency, when we had seen that, okay, we're going to be able to pick up Malik Monk, we're going to be able to pick up Kendrick Nunn potentially. Again, I realize these things are all interconnected, so I'm sort of oversimplifying here, but those were the types of names that became available. Would we have done this sort of knee-jerk reaction trade to go after a guy like Russ and and sort of give up future prospects, which, by the way, with all the teams sort of floundering this year, those future prospects might have been able to get you a maybe more helpful player um, in the short and long term than Russell Westbrook. Like it, it really comes down to, for me, a team building thing. I'm able to put all this stuff to the side and be like, I accept Russell Westbrook is not a top 20 player in the NBA anymore, despite being paid like one. Um, That's all fine. I can live with the fact that he is on our team. It is what it is. But my bigger issue is, with the team building. So to the extent I say Russell Westbrook sucks, it's not necessarily, I'm not stupid. I know this guy's not the worst player in the NBA. Okay. He's not even in the bottom half of of bad players in the NBA, but he is, when I say that, what I'm really getting at is a bigger issue that I have with Rob and the way that this team has been put together. Um, And that is not Russell Westbrook's fault, but yes, go ahead. And, and can I add on to that? Because you mentioned the, assets that already went out for Russell Westbrook, but you didn't even bring up the damage control assets that may come because of Russell Westbrook after this. So what I'm talking about is things haven't worked out quite the the way that we wanted to. And so because of that, because Russell Westbrook makes up one sum lump of $44 million and we can't even split his salary up to make additional moves and we don't have the flexibility to do so, guess who has to pay for that? Guys like THT, Guys like Kendrick Nunn, the other assets that you got on this team, uh, guys like the 2027 first round pick, potentially, you know? And so I'm almost afraid, Tommy, that outside of what we already lost, we're going to lose more just to try and clean up our mistakes. Well, and and yeah, and I think a lot of what you're getting at, right, is like opportunity costs, because it's like if you don't have... It, it, it's, it's like if you don't have Russ on your team, it kind of gives you the opportunity to go after a bunch of other potential options that you're not necessarily able to entertain right now. I mean, frankly, another thing is like, maybe I'm getting a little bit off topic with this comment, but like maybe objectively the best decision for this team is to bring Russell Westbrook off the bench. But the sad thing is Russell Westbrook as a former superstar in the NBA, current pretty good player, is that he has so much superstar gravity with him that like comes with him that like you can't even do those things unless you want to create a complete media circus for the yep. final 41 games of the season. We still have half of the season to play, but these are the, you know, forget again, put aside the 44 million, put aside the assets that we lost, put aside even the assets that we may lose dealing with this mess in the future. <laughs> <That's> so sad. <laughs> put all of that aside and you are still dealing with a guy that you cannot even deploy in the way that you think makes the most sense for your team because of the superstar you know, sort of persona that he has and certainly has of himself. I mean, if I'm the Lakers, right, Russell Westbrook opting out of his $47 million next season is not necessarily the worst-case scenario. Sure, that means you lost KCP. Sure, that means you lost uh, Kuz and, and the first-round pick, and all of that was for nothing. And and you can make an argument even if he opts in, it maybe wouldn't be he would still be hard to trade, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't be as hard as, as it would be to trade him right now. Um, but it's not the worst case scenario for him to opt out. So if I'm the Lakers, I don't know, like you already have LeBron, you already have like this team of wonky veterans that don't necessarily fit together. Like why not just throw out, throw it out there and just be like, look, this clearly isn't working. We're, we're a 500 team barely through 40 through half the season. Um, we are going to go out there and 
we're going to try to bring Russ off the bench so we can stagger him more with LeBron and try to get units on the floor that make sense and can be effective together. If Russell Westbrook gets pissed, he can opt out at the end of the season. Okay, if he wants to reveal himself as a as a as a guy who's going to quit on the team, he can do that. You know, if he wants to demand a trade, please <laughs> have your agent go find <laughs> us a trade. Okay, nobody in the in the league can take this contract off our hands right now. But you know that those are the types of of side issues that come with getting a guy like this. Right, it's almost like getting Carmelo Anthony when he was a. $38 million player who wasn't being, I mean, any, yeah. it's not just Russell Westbrook. Any, this is like the, always been the problem with getting any aging star at the end of their run, you know, of their career. I, I should say, I, Russ is not like retiring next year, but getting towards this, you know, twilight years of his career, um, where his effectiveness isn't where it once was, but he's still being paid that much, you know, that amount, and still views himself as that. You get all of the, kind of the the baggage that comes with that, and it it's just not worth it. But much more the most flawed superstar in NBA history. Okay, that's that's a hyper, hyper hyperbole. But honestly, if we were talking about Chris Paul here, it's the same issue. Um, but Chris Paul can shoot the ball. <laughs> Chris right. Paul is a better decision maker. He plays defense to the extent that he racks up a lot of steals, right? So it's like, yeah. Okay, let's wrap it Let's wrap it up here because we are going down a dark rabbit hole. Um, again, I just want to say, not to say that we can't win the championship with Russell Westbrook and not to, to say that he can't provide his services in a very positive way to that venture. Of course he can. Just that the front office made it so much harder on themselves and everyone else to do so. Uh, so maybe you just... Not maybe, you have to. You have to just bite the bullet, swallow the sunk cost, and move on. But I'm telling you, Tommy, it's going to be hard to move on as long as the Lakers continue to play. Because as long as there is a game for the Lakers to play, that means there is a possibility that Russell Westbrook's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High, terrible version rears its ugly head at any moment. And so you're just praying it doesn't happen during a very important playoff game, right? So this is going to continue to happen. But these are our thoughts on that, and I doubt that they will change. So uh, we will leave it there, and uh, yeah, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, how are you feeling? <laughs> Not feeling very good. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about something a lot more positive in Liddy in the, the next episode, or maybe the episode prior to this. I don't know which order I'm doing this, but yes, in totality, this is our vent session, therapeutic cathartic session on Russell Westbrook, and we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.